Now, it doesn't sound like a very fun title, right? But the reality is there are weapons in this world, and when people use them against us, they hurt. And so we kind of introduced this last week, and we looked at how the weapons of the warfare are not carnal, but the pulling down of strongholds. And that's kind of a way of talking about how there are spiritual weapons and spiritual battles that happen and how they are used against us in our ability to fight the enemy. So we talked about how sometimes the weapons that are used against us aren't just physical weapons like knives or a sword or a gun but that there are spiritual weapons that are used against us, and there are soul weapons that are used against us. Now, that might kind of sound odd. You know, what do you mean, Mary, there's weapons that affect our soul? Well, it says the tongue can be sharper, right? The tongue can be sharp. Just like a sword can cut your flesh, somebody can say words that cut your soul, that emotions, right? Sometimes it's our own emotions that wound us. Um, jealousy or envy or anger or rage. Sometimes if it's not, um, you know, tempered with some self-control, our own rage, our own anger, our own envy can wound our soul or wound somebody else's soul. A lot of times our words, our actions wound either ourselves or other people. And then in the spirit realm, there are, you know, demonic things that can wound us, come against us. So as we go through the next few weeks, what we're going to do is look at each of the sections of who we are and how the weapons hurt us. So we are body, soul, and spirit. So today we're going to look at what are some ways that weapons affect our body. Now, we lived in an era where we had civil war or an invading force here in America some of it would just seem obvious, wouldn't it? It would be like, well, it's, it's the soldiers from the opposing enemy, and when they shoot at me, that's a weapon that hurts my body. But we live in a peaceful time. At least we're experiencing peace. There's not necessarily peace over the entire world right now. But for most of us, unless we have some domestic issues or we're out in our situation where it's, it's an area with a lot of crime or violence, most of us live on average every day in an environment where we're not worried about somebody physically coming up and wounding our bodies. But there still are weapons. There still are things that wound us. And so what we need to do is, again, look at that. So we're going to start in John 16, verse 33. And Jesus was talking to the disciples about the end of the time, and he was talking to them a little bit about how their grief was going to turn into joy, and they didn't quite understand because he kept saying, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to rise again. They were very confused. So he says to them by verse 33, because then he talks about them after he goes and how there's going to be persecution. Excuse me. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, what I find very interesting is he just got done telling him he's going to go to the cross, right? We know he goes to the cross, and his blood is shed. Now we can call on the name of Jesus. We see in Isaiah how four things really are promised when he goes to the cross. 
Two of them have to do with our spirit, right? Forgiveness of iniquity, forgiveness of transgressions, basically meaning forgiveness of our sins. And then we also receive peace, and we also receive healing. So healing for our body, peace for our souls. So Jesus, you're going to the cross. You're doing all of this so that for us to call on you, we can have peace, we can have healing, we can have forgiveness. And, you know, you told us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you're asking us to pray for heaven on earth. And you're still telling us that after all that you do and after all that we pray, that we're still going to have trouble here on the earth. And yes, we still have trouble here on the earth. And a lot of times people get frustrated with that. Like this is usually for people who struggle with belief in God or belief in a good God, this is their number one issue. They'll say, if God knows, right, that the car is going to hit the little boy, why doesn't God stop it? Right? If God knows that Hitler is going to be born and all these Jews are going to die, why did God allow Hitler to be born? Why does God let good thing, or bad things happen to good people? Right? That's, that's their question. The reality is God gives all of us free will. Now, when I say the prayer, Lord, help me lose weight, and then the next morning I get up and I grab a Snickers bar, Right? I'm just, I'm just being real. If I didn't have free will anymore, every time I asked God to do something, I'd be, like, I wouldn't be able to get the Snickers bar into my mouth. And I would be pretty sad about that. I'd be like, really? I mean, think about it, right? We do that with our loved ones. Like, oh, remind me. I'm on a diet. When you see me grabbing a Snickers bar, remind me. So then if my do you think my husband dares say anything if I grab that Snickers bar? Even though I said, please remind me. What would I say to him? I, do you know what kind of day I had? I can, I can have one tonight. Don't even. He wouldn't do it ever again. See, we want God to answer our prayer, but we don't want him to make us receive that in some cases. And so free will is this very unique, very special thing. And God has been big on free will all the way to when he made the angels. Lucifer made a decision that he could rise above God and that he could be greater than God. And it says when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, a third of the angels went with him. Why? Because they had free will. So if God gave that angels free will why are we surprised that he gives us free will so when somebody has free will though that means they might make bad choices and those bad choices might affect us sometimes we make bad choices and they affect us so even though god has said in me you can have peace and in the name of jesus you can have healing for your body and you can have forgiveness of your sins Sometimes those things that affect us on the flesh here on earth still cause trouble. We can have healing. I can pray, Lord, you know, help me to never have cancer. And then I can turn around and smoke cigarettes, you know, 10 packs a day for two years and then wonder why all of a sudden I'm having a hard time breathing right? I'm not judging anybody who smokes cigarettes. I'm just using as an example, right? We all have free will. We sometimes choose to do things that are counterproductive than what we really know we want. And so God never, ever, 
ever interacts with our free will. Because he's a gentleman. I keep talking about that, how God is a gentleman. Satan forces himself on us, right? Satan will force himself and will tempt us and whisper in your ear things you don't want to hear, and he'll do all these different things. But God is a gentleman. And God says, you have free will. And he might look down and say, I know what you need. But I'm not even going to do it unless you ask. And again, we get frustrated with that. Well, if God knows what I need, why doesn't he just do it? Why do I have to ask? Because maybe you need to eat, stop eating that Snickers bar for breakfast, Mary. But I don't want him to make the Snickers bar not make it to my mouth. I want to be able to do what I want to do, even if he thinks I don't want it. So what does he do? He waits till I ask. He waits until I say, hey, Lord. And he can't pick and choose. He can't say, well, I'm not going to intervene in areas that I know indulges your flesh, but I'll intervene in areas that, that helps her finances. No, he says, look, if you want help with your flesh or with your finances, you have to ask. And then we have to participate with him in that asking. And that's a hard thing. Sometimes he's setting us up for success, and we choose not to participate. A lot of times my prayer isn't, Lord, let me hear your voice. I think most of us hear God's voice. I think most of us, we don't realize it's God, but you have what, you know, the world calls it mother's intuition or your gut. Go with your gut, right? What is that? That is God. That's the Holy Spirit in us, encouraging us. Satan tempts us to do bad, but God tempts us to do good. God is trying to get us to do things, and sometimes we just choose not to do it. We're like, no. And I, I mean, this is a simple example, and I know you guys have probably heard me say it before, but about six months before we got this building, God really, I mean, I just had this intuition, right? I just had this thought in my head. I just had this urgency, and it wouldn't go away. It, it was strong for about three months, and I just kept ignoring it to the point where it finally stopped. But for about six months before we got this place, it was, you should get on the treadmill. You should exercise. You should get on the treadmill. Walk up and down the stairs a few times. You need to get in shape. And I was like, no, I don't. I don't need to get in shape. What am I getting in shape for? I'm not going to run no 5K. I don't know why my head's thinking I need to be in shape. But I'm, uh-uh. I'm just going to lay on the couch and whatever. And then we got this building. And that within that first week, I'd be down in the children's basement trying to do something. And I would need the pliers that were on the other side up in the office. And I'd go up the stairs and across the building and up those stairs and over into that part and down in the basement and over here, back and forth. And I tell you what, there were times in that first few weeks where I thought, I'm going to have a heart attack. Like, I can't keep up. I would go home at night and lay in bed, and I would hurt. I would ache. I would be like, Lord, please help me feel better. And God's not a big I told you so, but it was brought to, I remember, I remember thinking like, oh, six months ago when God was like, get in shape. Maybe, right? Maybe he was tempting me to do good here and to do these things. So he's constantly putting things in our atmosphere, reminding us and trying to help us, just like Satan is constantly putting temptations and emotions and anger and frustration in our atmosphere. The biggest question 
And that's why it's my biggest prayer is, okay, I hear your voice, but will I obey it? That's my prayer most days. Lord, help me hear your voice and obey it. It's one thing to hear somebody's voice. It's totally different if you decide to make that obedience to what he's trying to do for us. So Jesus is saying to them, he's like, look, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now why does the fact that he's overcome the world going to give me peace when I'm in the midst of trouble? Right? It's like, how in the world? Why? Okay, I can call on Jesus. Why does that give me peace when I'm in trouble? Because, he says, if you ask, I will help you. And who is the one person that can help me in any situation? Jesus. The question is, is will we ask him? Will we call out to him? When Peter was able to get out of the boat and walk to Jesus on the water, when he had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on the water and he was fine. As soon as he got his eyes off of Jesus and it says he looked at the storms, he began to sink. When trouble comes around us, we can walk on the water. We can go through the storm. We can have everything raging around us and we're okay if we keep our eyes on Jesus. I remember when Matthew was born, my oldest, he was a pound and a half. And they had kept saying they needed to move him down to Grand Rapids because Grand Rapids had a higher level intensive uh, neonatal intensive care unit, NICU they call them. And so that first night they said, okay, we're going to have to fly him out there. So I'm like, okay, well, can you guys discharge me? I want to be able to go, have my bags ready. They said, oh, by the end of the night they're like, okay, okay, probably tomorrow. We'll discharge you tomorrow. It's probably tomorrow. He doesn't have to go tonight, but maybe tomorrow. Okay, so the next day I get all discharged. I come with my bag. I go into the NICU. I ask the doctor. I said, what time is he going to Grand Rapids? Oh, but not tonight. Maybe, maybe by Friday. And all of a sudden, you know, because I'm young. I'm like 20. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Stop. When is he going? Why does he have to go? And why is he not gone yet? And they said, oh, well, we have to do tests there, every few days, there's a different test we have to take, and he's going to fail one of those tests. And then we're not going to be able to help him, and then we're going to have to send him to Grand Rapids. So he passed, like, his heart test that night, and then he passed the brain test that day. But then they were going to test those things again, and he said, one of these tests, he's going to fail, and then we're going to have to send him to Grand Rapids. And I remember looking at the doctor. He probably thought I was crazy, but by the end of Matthew's stay... He didn't think I was crazy anymore. But I looked at him and I said, oh, that's why you're sending him? I said, he's going to be fine then. He's going to pass all of his tests. I can go home and unpack this bag. And he just kind of shook his head and he's like, no, he's not going to pass all these tests and we're not going to be able to keep him here. I've been doing this for, for a really long time is what he told me. Well, I went home and unpacked my bag. I didn't have my eyes on what this doctor had his eyes on. I had my eyes on Jesus. And I just had this peace over me because that guy was really cool and I'm glad in the flesh he was able to put on a stethoscope and listen to Matthew's heart. But in the supernatural, in his physical body, Jesus was the great physician. And he was the one that was going to make sure that Matthew was okay. Now at one point, his oxygen saturation kept going down, kept going down. And they kept doing all these different things, and they were worried about this and that. 
And I just kept praying about it. I was like, Lord, what is going on? Why is this happening? And all I could see every time I prayed was this water bottle that the oxygen had to flow through. So I went to one of the nurses one day because they were really get concerned, and I said, maybe that water bottle needs to be filled. Like, it's only got a little bit of water in it. They're like, it doesn't matter how much water. And I said, well, maybe it's in the wrong position. Like, I had no idea medically what the water bottle was for. I guess now it's like put humidity in the oxygen so they don't dry out, but I didn't understand that. All I knew was there's only a little bit of water. And I kept, like, badgering this nurse about the water bottle. And finally, she's like, there's nothing wrong with the water bottle, Mary. See, and she went to touch it, and the thing fell down. Whoever had put it back in there didn't turn and twist it all the way. And so his oxygen was coming out the side of the top of the water bottle. She's like, oh, my gosh, who messed with this water bottle? So she tightened it up, and instantly his oxygen saturation went up to 100. Now, you don't keep it at 100 because over it might be 120, but it's only going to say 100. So you keep it at, like, 99. So you know it's not over 100. If it's over 100, you can cause blindness in the little premature babies. So by the end of the, like the next 30 minutes, she had to turn it down like almost, I don't know, it was like a full liter or half a liter that they had cranked it up. And the doctor was just amazed that there wasn't something wrong with him. He thought for sure there was going to be something wrong with him. Now, I remember sharing this story with a, a group of women, and I remember one of the ladies said, Mary, that's a horrible example to tell people. And I'm like, why is that? She goes, because most women would have been crying. Most women would have been upset. Most women would have been scared. So they can't relate to you. And I said, that's the point. I was 20 years old, and I should have been crying, and I should have been scared. But I chose to say, Jesus, if something comes up that the doctor doesn't know, show somebody, intervene, have something happen, bring healing to his body. And that's what I want us to know. Go ahead and cry and be scared, but then snap out of it, right? Remind yourself. Ask the Lord to remind you. Ask your friends to help you. Say, when I'm in the middle of a struggle and, I, and I'm upset and I'm crying, ask me, have you yet prayed to Jesus? It's okay to pray to Jesus and still cry, but make sure you take a moment to pray to him. And then as his peace begins to wash over you, as you begin to see, like, okay, he's here, he's answering this prayer, the, the situation shifts, and you come out of that moment. I think the number one reason why when we're in a trouble, we think that it's, it's going to be bad because we are expecting ourselves to figure it out. And really, my arm can only reach this far. And if I had to figure every situation out with my arms, I would not get very far. But when I can finally let go and say, this isn't my responsibility, this isn't my situation, God, it is your responsibility. Even if it's something I've screwed up. Seriously, I've done things where I'm like, I just screwed that up. God, this is your responsibility. You need to come clean up this mess. Now, you might be thinking, well, Mary, if you screwed up, then it's your responsibility to clean up the mess. Nope, it's not. Why? Because God's bigger than my messes. God's bigger than my mistakes. His power and his healing and his peace is bigger than any mistake I'll ever make. And if you go through life thinking if you make a mistake, everything is over, game over, then you're never going to walk in peace. You have to go through life knowing that even when I screw up, God is bigger. And God loves me so much he can help out. And he wants to help out. 
think about your children, right? Let's say your your 20-year-old gets a new apartment, he's he's there, and, and all of a sudden they're screwing around, maybe he's doing something in the bathroom, and he knocks the toilet over, and he thinks like, oh my gosh, I screwed this up, I did this. Well, no, what is he going to do? He's going to call his dad, and he's going to be like, I don't know what I did with this toilet, but it's, I knocked it off the pedestal, what do I do? And dad's going to show up with a new wax ring, and he's going to get some tools, and he's going to teach his son how to fix a toilet, right? And everything is, and God's no different. God doesn't look down and say like, oh, well, you, you created that mess now, you got to live with it for the rest of your life. No, his mercies are never ending. His forgiveness is new every single day. His ability to come into our lives and transform us is unending. And it's bigger than any mistake you can ever make. So here he is. He says, take heart. Take heart. What does that mean? To have courage. Understand that in the midst of the trouble, whether you cause the trouble or somebody you love caused the trouble or the government caused the trouble, whatever the trouble might be, take heart. Be courageous. It's going to be okay. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. And there's nothing in the world that he hasn't overcome. He's overcome emotional problems. He's overcome healing and body problems. He's overcome relationship problems. He's overcome financial problems. Whatever it might be, Jesus is telling you to take heart. Not because you're going to figure it out. Not because you're going to fix it. Because he can. And you have to ask him to help you. So... As we look at our bodies, though, some of the things, right, are pretty obvious. And, you know, we'll look at when others hurt us. But what about the things that are not obvious? Or what about the times when it's us that have hurt us? Now, this isn't, like, a great passage that's fun to read, but it's here. So let's read it. We're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, he's talking about us being temples of God. Now, you have to understand the Jewish people and people of that time... They would have temples, they would have synagogues, they would have places where they felt their, you know, God's presence dwelt. And that was the huge thing was when Jesus was on the cross and he died, the curtain that was in the temple that kept back God's presence in the Holy of Holies, that ripped open and God's presence left. And they now believe that God's presence is in us, and, and it is. That's, that's the Holy Spirit. When we ask Jesus in our hearts, the Holy Spirit comes. So we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so he's, now, I'm pretty sure this was Paul writing. He was trying to make a point to them. In the book of 1 Corinthians, he's talking to Christian believers that are Gentiles and Christian believers who are Jews. Now, the Jews are trying to tell the Gentile people they have to follow the Ten Commandments and the law. And what Paul is trying to explain to them is you're not saved by following the law. You're saved because you believe in Jesus. But he also does tell them that there's a benefit to the law. Right? Earthly sin brings earthly pain. If I lie to you all the time and you don't trust me, and I'm frustrated because I want you to give me you know, an opportunity and I don't trust you to get the job done, right? then that's, that's an earthly pain. But that doesn't mean you're not saved. right? So we have this understanding that we know that he's trying to explain to people that you don't have to follow the law to have salvation. But... When you follow the law and you take good care of your body, there's earthly benefit. So he says to them, I have the right to do anything you say. 
right? Because he just said to him, you don't have to follow the law. I can do anything then. I can do whatever I want. But not everything is beneficial. That's like a complete statement. That is so good. You have the right to do whatever you want, but everything you do is not beneficial. You have the right to get in your car and drive 100 miles per hour, but it's not beneficial. If you could hit somebody, you could have an accident, you could kill yourself, you're going to get the authorities, are going to stop you, give you a ticket. Just because you can doesn't mean it's beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, you say. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what is he saying? He's like saying, look, just because you can do anything you want doesn't mean you should. And he's going to take this few moments here and specifically talk about our bodies. Like I said, we have wounds, they hurt us. Now, if I take a knife and cut your body and you see the blood, you know that that was a weapon hurt you and, it's, and you're bleeding. But food can be a weapon that hurts your body. Sexual induendos, right, and sexual uh, activities can hurt your body. And I would argue that these things can also, when they hurt your body, anything that hurts your body can affect your soul and can affect your spirit. They all kind of build on each other. Not everything that happens to your spirit and soul is clearly affecting your body, but most of the time when you have the stress or you have the ulcers, you have the high blood pressure, and you have nothing else that's causing it, no high salt or this and that, but it's the stress, then it is. It's the stuff that's happening to your soul and spirit that's affecting your body. So even though we have three different parts, they're all interconnected. So he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So, right? He's saying, look, just because you can do whatever you want doesn't mean you should. Now, why is he making a point talking about eating food and prostitution? You have to understand their cultures were much different. They lived in a times where other temples would have temple prostitutes. And because obviously it was not God temple. It was, you know, either some man came up with these rules or it was a demon that had come up with these rules. They thought, oh, if you sleep with these temple prostitutes, you could get closer to God. And so these new people have converted to Christianity and they say, well, does it matter if I still go and sleep with a prostitute? Well, it doesn't affect your salvation. Your salvation is because you believe in Jesus. not going to be an effect on you and your body and the body of Christ because you're all together. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body, right? He's saying, look, when you do the other sins, because earthly sin brings earthly pain, when you lie, somebody else, 
It's something that's happening over here. But when you do these things now, you're letting that sin, you're letting that connection come into your own body. Now, we could go on for an hour talking about why, you know, sex can cause issues with your soul or issues with your spirit or even just issues with your body as far as, like, diseases and different things like that. But I think most of you understand why he was telling them not to be going out with the prostitutes. Do you not know that your body whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So he's saying, do not do this because you're sinning. He's saying, honor. Honor God because the Holy Spirit is in you. So, one of the ways that weapons affect our body is us, us making choices with our body, us either putting things into our body. Like when he talked about food there for a moment, you know, it, if he were to have written that letter recently, he might have said food or drugs or alcohol, right? Those could have been things that he could have said more in general. Like whenever you do these things, and then also when you connect yourself with a prostitute or sexual immorality, you can cause harm to your body. So we have times where sometimes we do that. I would say that there's sometimes people do it um, through their either their exercise or lack of exercise or their extreme, like, sports. There's people that are very extreme that take risks when they know maybe the, the Holy Spirit or maybe they're getting to a point where maybe I shouldn't do this and they keep pushing themselves. So it's not always something that we think is very obvious. Sometimes it's things that we think that are good. I mean, if you look at Elvis Presley, he had a doctor prescribing those medications. And at that time, they didn't have the FDA studies like they did now. And so he, he had no idea that by taking all of these prescriptions from a doctor that he was actually harming his body. But we can look back in hindsight and say he did. So sometimes we have to rely on that Holy Spirit or our wise friends to say, am I doing things that are bringing harm to me? So we have things that we do that bring harm to our bodies. And then we have other people who bring harm to our bodies. We have others. You know, it kind of sucks when others, you know, hurt us, but that is a reality. And the biggest question always is, is how should we react when this, these things happen? Now, for ourselves, there's what in the... In, We also know that there can be godly wisdom. So when it's issues that we are having, we need to pray and ask the Lord, give me wisdom. Give me some self-control. Maybe you need to go and counsel. We, we call that accountability partner. In like the recovery world, they call it a sponsor. I'm sponsoring you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to be the person you can call when you're, when you're thinking about doing these things. Now, those are things we can do when we're having issues, but what do we do when others have hurt us? And did I read to you all in Luke? All right, so let's look here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, it says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So how do others hurt us? Well, sometimes they curse us. Sometimes they hate us. 
Sometimes they mistreat us. And again, we're all interconnected, but if someone's harming you, it does affect your body, and then in turn it affects your soul and your spirit. He says, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, it says, you know, turn to... Okay, if someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good, sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now that's Jesus talking. What I find interesting is, and we're going to read a few spots, where there's other times when he tells them, like, look, when people are coming for your life, run. Right? There's other times where he tells the disciples, make sure you have a sword. So to me, that can be conflicting. Like, why in some cases should we run or should we fight? And in this case, we should just simply love. The biggest thing that I notice when I look at these scriptures and break it down is when we are doing what he just said here, it's one-on-one. When somebody walks up to you and demands something from you, when somebody says, hey, I hate you, when somebody comes up and curses you, when it's just one-on-one and it's people that you're in a relationship with, In that situation, just give them what they ask for, bless them, don't judge them, you don't know what's going on in that moment, do not condemn them. Now, people will say, yeah, but Mary, he tells us that if someone sins against you, to go to them. And if that doesn't help, then you bring somebody with you and you go to them. And if that doesn't work, you're supposed to, you know, cast them in the darkness and stomp on them. No, that's not what it says. It says, if after the third time you've gone to them, it didn't work. He says, treat them as you would tax collectors and sinners. So that seems harsh. How should we treat tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus had dinner with them. Jesus loved them. Jesus brought them food. Jesus did whatever. What's the difference? You don't expect them to treat you like a Christian. You don't expect them to love you because they're not Christians. They haven't yet made that decision to love my neighbor as I love myself. Jesus made it very clear. He's like, how will other people know that you're my child? Because you love. So if a tax collector or a sinner has not yet accepted Christ and they're not treating people with love, be aware of that. But you don't shun them. You love them. You love them until they convert to Christianity. And so... These, how you react when somebody is being mean to you is very one-on-one. Most of us, that one-on-one, it might be like a neighbor, it might be a coworker, it might be a family member, 
It might be, you know, somebody that, that you deal with in one-on-one. A lot of times when he said to run, it was governmental things. When there's wars, run to the hills. When the Pharisees were coming in the middle of the night and going to try to take them in the dark, they were trying to do that because then the people during the day wouldn't know why they disappeared. And so Jesus said, make sure you have a sword. So when Peter pulled out the sword and cut off the one guy's ear, all of a sudden they stopped and realized, because they came with clubs, right? They were going to just take care of them quietly. All of a sudden now, he's like, why are you coming to us in the middle of the night? Why are you coming to us? They knew they had the ability to defend themselves. And he says, if whatever you wanted to tell me, you could have said to me during the light of day in the temple. See, God, of course, knew what they were going to do. And so they stopped the violence, and then they went and made it a public trial. So there are times when, you, again, you need to have wisdom. Is this something that's being done in secret that somebody just wants to hurt me? Is this something that people know about? And so you have to bring, bring a witness into it. That's why Jesus said to make sure you bring somebody in with you when you talk to them. But these things happen. People other than yourself wound you, whether it's a slap on the cheek or it's a curse or they mistreat you and somehow. And how do we react? We react with love. We don't judge them. Now, love is patient and love is kind, but love also protects. So you might get to a point where you just say, hey, I love you and I'm not going to mistreat you. I'm not going to be mean to you back, but I'm not going to stop by your house anymore and you you use a little bit of self-control and you use a little bit of protection but the question is is how do you react when it's happening and that's with love and that's hard it is really hard and that's why you know it says in John he, he makes it very clear it's really hard but in John chapter 13 verse 34 Jesus said to them he says a new commandment I give you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So someone might wound me, and we talked about this. How do we know we're wounded? We usually bleed, right? We usually are bruised. We usually have some sort of um, issue. Now, when our body gets wounded, we can see it, we can feel it. When our soul gets wounded, sometimes we don't realize it right away. But we still bleed. We bleed on all the people around us. It's like when you come home from work and you start yelling at the kids and your wife for something they did yesterday that you didn't have a problem with, what are you doing? You're bleeding on them because something happened to you at work that wounded your soul, and now I'm coming home and I'm bleeding on everybody. I'm making a big old mess. And so in the midst of the strike, in the midst of the wounding from somebody else, angry at those around me what's happening that's just like a natural reaction isn't it sometimes that happens and you have to be aware of it the biggest thing that you have to be aware of is what is going on if you go into battle if you go into the woods even and you know there's ticks or you go into a battle and you know that there is snipers out there, sometimes you, in the middle of a firefight, your adrenaline is so high that when you finally get out of it, somebody comes over to you and checks your body. Once you think you'd know if you got shot, sometimes the guys 
literally in battle do not know they've been shot. Why? Because their adrenaline was pumping, and the only way they know is somebody else has to look, and they see that blood. So we have to get help when we're wounded. Unless it's something really little and something really obvious, and you can just get a Band-Aid out and put it on, most of the time you need help, especially if it's in an area you can't reach, especially if it's something bigger than you can handle. How do we get help? Well, we go to the doctor. We go to our spouse. I've gotten splinters before, big cuts somewhere where I couldn't reach, and I asked my husband to help me. Sometimes you go into the emergency room because it's a crisis. It's something big. But when you get wounded in your soul and in your spirit, most of the time we think we can take care of it ourselves. And really, you need to have somebody help you get wounded. In that moment, you reacted with love, hopefully. Not always, but sometimes, you know, we do. But when we go home and we start making a mess, we start bleeding on everybody, we have to be honest and say, hey, I need to go talk to the pastor about this. Or, hey, can I talk to you, honey, tonight? And you talk to your spouse. And sometimes just talking about it makes it better. It's just like if you get a wound on your leg... You know, you, you fall off your bike in the gravel and you get all this gravel in there. What do you do? You got to go and pick it all out. You clean it out, you, you spray it out, and you wrap it up. Sometimes you got to pick it out of your soul. You got to, like, talk about what just happened. So don't allow Satan to convince you that you're fine and that you don't need to talk about it. Wounds need to be cleaned out, wounds need to be addressed. Now, there's also one final way that us as human beings get wounded. And again, I brought it up in the beginning. It's not something most of us have experienced, but that doesn't mean we're not going to experience it. Or some of us have experienced it. There's people that have been over to war situations or have come out of war-like situations. And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, Jesus tells them, he says, look, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? When will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Because he had been talking about when he goes and how at the end God will take care of everything and not to worry. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and and they will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. Isn't that interesting? Now, obviously, he had the foresight to know in 2,000 years there would be a lot of wars, and there have, haven't there? In the last 2,000 years, there have been a lot of wars. And he says, do not be alarmed. These things will happen. I mean, really, really like Jesus. And in one of the spots, he says, you know, when you see this happen, go run for the hills. And he says, woe to those that have to run when they're pregnant or nursing mothers. You know, and and why is he saying that? He's saying, like, look, there's going to be times in humanity where you just have to run. People are going to try to hurt your body. People are going to try to kill you. And then he talks about earthquakes. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. And these are just the beginning of the things that will happen. What is he saying? In this world, you will have trouble. Sometimes you will harm yourself. Sometimes others will harm you that you're close with. And sometimes the government, right, the, the wars will happen and nations will rise against nations. And sometimes it's just being here on planet Earth. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. 
and it's going to affect your body. If we live through a famine here in the U.S., guess what? We import food from other places. They grow it in greenhouses with hydroponics. We, we have no idea what it's like to live through a famine. And I'm glad. But those people there that he was forewarning, that was going to really affect their body. There were going to be times when they would have their children die of starvation. And so these things have come, and they affect our body, and we're wounded. And the weapons that have wounded us, they will hurt, and they are meant to hurt you. Satan wants all of us to be miserable. God wants us to have everything good, and if we pray and ask him to help us, he will help us in the midst of the storm. But Satan is going to bring that storm to your life, into your family's life, into your neighborhood, into your workplace, into your town. He is constantly warring against us. That's why it says, you know, in Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to go there one more time. That was our scripture from last week, but it is so good for us to remember these things. Ephesians chapter 6, a reminder of who is the enemy. He says, put on the full armor of God so that way you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When he says the authorities, he doesn't mean the government authorities. He means the authorities in the spirit realm, in the evil forces. Satan cannot steal your salvation. So the only hell you'll ever experience is here on earth. So since he can't steal your salvation and he knows you're going to go to heaven when you die, he's going to try to have you have hell while you're here on earth. But Jesus came. I love what he said in John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all Satan wants to do. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. But I have come that they may have life and life to the full. He wants you to have a full life, but you have to call out to him. He knows that Satan is going to wound you, and you're going to bleed, and you're going to be hurt, and you're going to affect those around you, and you're going to affect yourself, and others are going to affect you. But that's why he's called the great physician. That's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can come in and with miraculous power. That's why we call on the blood of Jesus to cover us. I remember when COVID first was here and it got really bad. And we, would, we said, just drive through the drive-thru. And we'll give you toilet paper. We'll give you whatever. While they would be waiting with the volunteers to go through the line, I would go up to the cars and I would say, what would you like prayer for? Every single car over three months, there would be about 100 families twice a week come through. Out of all of that time, I think there was only maybe one or two times total where somebody said they did not want prayer. Everybody else wanted prayer. And I remember one family in particular, they said, and I don't remember who the person was in their family. I want to say it was a brother-in-law was in the hospital on the vent. And when people first got the covid if they had health issues, it was bad, right? They didn't know how to treat it very well. And now that it's been a few years out, now it's more like a common cold. And that's how, that's how most of the viruses work as they weaken and weaken. 
they become more like the common colds. But this person was on the vent, and they didn't know if they were going to make it 24 hours, and they asked me to pray. And I said, all right, you want me to pray? We're going to pray, but we're going to ask God to be over this person. We're going to plead the blood of Jesus over this person. We're going to plead angels in that place. We're going to pray for wisdom to be on that doctor, and we're going to expect a miracle because that's what God does. Do you want me to pray? Do you give me the permission to have the authority to pray for your loved one? And they were like, yes. And so I prayed. They came back because we would do it on Sunday and then on Wednesday. They came back three days later and they said, Mary, he's off the vent. They didn't think he was going to make it through the night, but after you prayed that next morning that he was doing so well, they took him off the vent. They said, now pray again because we don't want him to stay in the hospital. We want him to be able to come home and be totally fine. I said, all right, you want to pray. You want to invite Jesus into his room. You want to ask the doctors to have the Holy Spirit wisdom. You want angels to be in there. You want the blood of Jesus to cover him, and you want miraculous power in his body. And you give me permission and the authority to pray for your loved one. Is that what you're asking me? Yes. And we prayed. The next time they came, the guy was home. Now, that is how good our God is. But the question is, is when we pray... Are we being specific? Are we asking? Are we trusting? Are we having that hope? Now, sometimes things don't happen that way. And sometimes we get frustrated and mad and we don't understand. They'd be like, why when you prayed for this person did it happen? And then I had you pray for this person and it didn't happen. And sometimes we won't know the answer until we get to heaven. But I have seen more miraculous things happen when we've prayed than I've seen not happen. And so I will not stop praying. And I want all of us to recognize that when we're wounded, we can ask God to help us, but we won't even ask if we don't even recognize that we're wounded. So if you are harming your body, begin to realize it and do what you can and ask the Lord to help you. If somebody else is wounding your body, love them. Love them well. Pray that the Lord blesses them, but then also pray to the Lord to help you heal so you're not letting that wound affect the people around you. And always be aware that at any time the governments and the earth can cause problems. Jesus told us that could happen. Don't be surprised. Now, you don't have to be like a prepper where you have enough for 10,000 years, but use wisdom. I'm just saying sometimes as Americans we can be very arrogant, right, and think that nothing is going to ever happen to us. Maybe something will never happen to us, but we need to remind our children that something could happen one day. So they remind their children and they remind their children to just to be aware. I'm going to pray for all of you. And I really hope that you come back next week because next week we're going to look at when our soul gets wounded. What are some of the signs of a wounded soul? What do we do with a wounded soul? And how do we recognize the weapons that wound us? Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the warnings that you've given us. We thank you for the instructions you've given us. And we thank you for the salvation you've given us through Christ Jesus. And I thank you so much that when he went to the cross, it was not just to bring us salvation, but it was to bring us peace. In the midst of the troubles, in the midst of the storms, you want us to walk in peace. You want us to have healing. We receive those things right now. We ask you to intervene in our lives. We ask you to show us where we've wounded our bodies, where others have wounded our bodies, and where we need to be ready and prepared. We ask you, Father God, to help us, to watch over us, bring healing to us. 
We trust in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week, and don't forget the blessing shop is open downstairs. Thank you.